0: Welcome to the Sword and Trial podcast. The Sword and Trial is a ministry of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. And I'm Tom Askell, and I'm delighted today to introduce you to my good friend, Scott Callahan. Scott, welcome aboard Founders Ministries and the Institute of Public Theology.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, looking forward to introducing you to folks that listen to The Sword and Trowel. And then beyond that, as we come up on our conference in January, to the folks that will be attending there. Speaking of the conference, it is sold out. We anticipated this happening, and it has happened. There is a wait list, however. You can get your name on that list so that if we have any last-minute cancellations, we will let you know and provide space for you. But uh, thank you for the support of the conference, and pray for that conference as we get ready to welcome. Vody Balkum and Joel Beakey and Bradley Pierce and Paul Washer into Southwest Florida to address the issue of what is man. We have a pre conference beforehand on uh, Christian nationalism. Vodie and I will be doing that, and we do have a few uh, seats available for that. So if you're interested in coming to that Wednesday night before the Founders Conference for that one off, time with voting and me, then you can sign up for that. And if you're signed up for the conference and you haven't signed up for our ministry update dinner, I encourage you to do that. It's a wonderful meal and it'll be a time you can just hear more about what's going on with founders and IOPT, some of the plans that we have going forward. We also still have our sale going on for the uh, uh, bookstore at founders press. So you can go to founders.org, get on the uh, get in the bookstore and see that we have what we're calling the holiday sale. Now I've had some people say, well, why are you calling it holiday sale, not Christmas sale? It's because we started it in before Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving is not Christmas. And so we're talking about all the holidays there. And if we extend it to New Year's, we'll just uh, include that one too. But there's a, a deep discount going on right now for Founders Press titles as well as uh, other items that we sell. Well, as I mentioned, I'm delighted to have Scott Callahan in the studio this morning. And Scott uh, comes to us having spent a year in New Orleans at the New Orleans Seminary there. And prior to that, uh, over in Singapore, where you have been a seminary professor for how many years total, Scott?
1: Over there, that was six years. Six years there. And before
0: that, what were you doing?
1: Before that, um, I was learning Chinese because the purpose of me being in Singapore was to teach in the Chinese program at the seminary there.
0: Okay. And you did learn Chinese. Right. And you've actually published in Chinese. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Tell us about that.
1: Well, so... At the beginning, when God was calling us to do cross-cultural international missions, it was specifically a calling to do theological education, to train up Chinese pastors in Asia. And I knew that this would be tough Mm. because Chinese, especially for English speakers, is a really hard language. So I, I kind of jokingly said to myself, how will I know that I'm actually doing this one day? Because it's so hard. And the joke was, well, I'll pick something impossible. (laughs) And that would be to be able to use Chinese as a medium to teach Hebrew, Mm. the main language of the Old Testament. So the day came where I stood in front of a class of 25 Chinese from China, teaching them via their language, teaching them Old Testament Hebrew. And so the publication you're, you're talking about is that towards the end of the time out there, I had the opportunity to teach the other Old Testament language, which is the minority language. Only 1% of the Old Testament is in Aramaic. Mm-hmm. So there did not exist an Aramaic textbook in Chinese. So I, I published it in English, of course, also. Mm-hmm. That would be the easier one of the two yeah. for me, and then also in, in Chinese. And so the Chinese edition of Biblical Aramaic for Biblical Interpreters is published in Taiwan.
0: Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. And you're also working on a Chinese uh, Christian songbook, right?
1: Oh, that's right. So just before coming out here to Florida, submitted that to the publisher also. It's a collection of worship songs in Chinese. And it's just the kind of thing, like, I, I think we experience, everybody experiences this in ministry of just recognizing god equips for what he wants you to do Mm. you know you try to be faithful but really everything is about god equipping and one day in the ministry out there i just started having this musical inspiration and and realizing these are chinese worship songs Mm. never heard these before so this songbook when it comes out will have 41 chinese modern hymns yeah so a, a great thing about the hymn format is you have the opportunity to develop some theology through the song. Mm. And I really like um, contemporary worship music that uses forms of music that, w- that we all know. But usually, there's only song space in the lyrics to come up with one idea. And that, that can be exactly what you need out of a worship song. But one of the strengths of the hymn format that we have inherited from the past is, well, you you tend to have a verse, then the chorus. Mm -hmm. So the chorus is sort of the main idea. And then you go back to verse 2, chorus, verse 3, and so forth, however many verses you have. And through that verse structure of a hymn, you develop theology, Mm. which is implicit teaching as you're proclaiming these truths, as you're singing them as a congregation. And that's just the format of the songs that... I had the inspiration to write. So we're just excited to see that in 2023, the, the Chinese songbook
0: coming Yeah, out. well, that's great. We look forward to seeing that as well. So you're coming on board as the dean for the Institute of Public Theology. Uh, give us a little bit of your background. Uh, mm. So, I mean, how did you, where'd you grow up? How'd you come to Christ? Tell us about your family, yes. your training, and then we're going to jump into what's going on with IOPT. Right,
1: right. Right. Well, so I grew up in Houston, Texas, mostly, and came to faith around age fourteen. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, that, that sounds like, oh, was well, that all? That, is that the whole thing? And for those of us who grow up in Christian homes and have that blessing, mm. there is something that's that's beautiful and natural about coming to faith when you're in that Christian home environment growing up. And that's just what happened with with me. It's what happened with my younger sister growing up in Houston, and not everybody has this experience, especially in our modern era where we're moving around a lot. We're becoming Floridians now, Mm -hmm. but uh, growing up in that church, this is the church in Houston that not only I came to faith, proclaimed that faith publicly through baptism, and then was licensed and ordained as well Mm. in the home church that we Mm. grew up in. So God uh, sent me out of there, in, an, in a path that I, I could never have come up with this plan. So this is God's plan. And we, we continue to try to live God's plan here because the, the script, once it's written, is beautiful mm. and better than anything we could have come up with. So God, God led for me to go to the U.S. Naval Academy for my college. Mm-hmm. So did that and then went into submarines after graduation. And Nuclear subs, right? Th- that's right. Yeah. And during the time in submarines, five years, God, I think, sensitized me to the great need for Christian ministry in the midst of the U.S. military environment. It's a very special environment. It's a very special mission field. Mm-hmm. And so the, the leading was such that I realized the best way I could serve in Christian ministry to the military given my background especially, was to be a U.S. Navy chaplain. So that was the first time I left the Navy, Mm -hmm. was to go to Southwestern Seminary, where I received world-class theological education. And it ended up that God's leading at the time was to do a Ph.D. in Old Testament also. And something that really struck me from the beginning days in seminary was the importance of understanding the authority and sufficiency Scripture. Mm. And I think really this is the center of what it means, of course, to be a Baptist, but really to be a, a faithful Christian. Because if we don't have trust, a basic trust in biblical authority, it's almost like we're making up our own religion, mm-hmm. you know? And there's also a freeing of recognizing that my relationship with God is a gift from him. It doesn't come from me. I don't make it up. The content of my faith is already laid out, and my story goes back to the beginning. Mm. So it's, it's beautiful what, what a release it is to recognize that our relationship with God is already laid out in his word that he's given us, Old and New Testaments. Mm. So during the time in seminary, I did that PhD in Old Testament and kind of wondered what God was up to yeah. with that. Because here I am, I'm going back into the Navy as a chaplain, and the Navy doesn't care that I'm an Old Testament <laughs> professor, you know, this, this kind of person. But um, any degree of theological education, any immersion in the Bible is good for any ministry. And it certainly served me. So uh, I don't know if this is what everyone does, but so I'm, I'm preaching on an aircraft carrier. And of course, I'm diagramming my sentences, uh, my, my, my New Testament Greek before I preach from the New Testament. Well, during that time, is when uh, God sensitized me again for what would come after the Navy chaplaincy, and that was to use my theological education background, that Old Testament PhD, to serve Chinese Christians and at the time in in Asia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, got out of the Navy the second time. So, again, it's it's it sounds so disorganized this <laughs> life, but you know it, you don't really have to control things too tightly when you recognize, well, God, has got this, yeah. you know? So got out of the Navy the second time. And we ended up uh, a um, short period thereafter in China, where it was full-time Chinese study. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, one day I'm supposed to use this incredibly hard language to teach Hebrew. How in the world am I going to do that? But again, it, it, it happens. Mm-hmm. After three years in China, moved to Singapore, and I was at the Baptist Seminary there. And indeed, that was an incredible blessing-filled time for mm. those six years. And then that comes up right against the year you mentioned at the Baptist Seminary in New Orleans, mm-hmm. which indeed itself was an incredible blessing-filled time, wonderful hospitality at the seminary there. And that brings us To today, in fact, just a few days ago, we arrived.
0: Yeah, that's right. You you guys haven't even got fully settled yet, but uh, we're so glad to have you here and to have you a part of IOPT. Tell us, uh, when did you first hear uh, Mm. about what we were doing here? We've only been going for a year and a half, (laughs) right? So uh, the idea has been a little bit longer than that. But how did you hear about it?
1: From the very beginning, I heard about it. So one, I uh, one of the anchors (laughs) that helped me, I think. To recognize that, well, not everybody back in the US is going crazy was <laughs> 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 Founders Ministries. And in fact, the influence of this podcast. Mm. Uh, so a year and a half ago was not even the beginning of tracking Founders Ministries through this mm. podcast. And and it was very encouraging to recognize that there's faithful ministry going on in the US in, in the in the midst of the craziness yeah. of the last couple of years and by faithful i'm talking about trust in the authority and sufficiency of scripture shining through everything you know mm-hmm. and so that was the message i was hearing from the podcast mm-hmm. and then one day there's the announcement of the Institute of Public Theology mm-hmm. and i was thinking man this is so needed <laughs> in our day, the idea of we want to convey to anyone who would go through the Institute of Public Theology the idea that our faith in Christ is supposed to be lived out.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And by lived out, it's not the sort of lifestyle evangelism living out where people can see from how we mow our yards, you know, (laughs) how we buy our groceries, not how we drive our cars, Mm -hmm. not just those things, but from our actual proclamation Mm -hmm. of the gospel, what is different about being a Christian and the public theology angle is what seemed to be missing Mm -hmm. the last couple of years from formerly dependable sort of staunch leaders in evangelicalism where there was sort of a, a retreat, it seemed, from the public square. Yeah. And so, you know, again, we were just, we were overseas. We weren't over here. I'm just trying to serve faithfully over there in that context that, that God gave us. But Institute of Public Theology was an encouragement for me to know, okay, there's at least one ministry, <laughs> and there is more than one, but mm-hmm. there's at least one ministry in the US, which is thinking rightly, about the place of christianity in the believer's life in the church's function in society mm-hmm. you know th- these kind of things so so that's the beginning so from the beginning of the mm-hmm. announcement of the institute of public theology i was very excited and i looked at everything i could on on the webpage to find out more about it and and saw uh, the ambitious plan mm. for what was to come and and just started to think well you know it it would be just the greatest honor I could be of any any part of that.
0: Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, we're delighted <laughs> that you're here. It's amazing how God providentially has worked this all together uh, to bring us to this point. Um, our, our burden for IOPT is recognizing and proclaiming Christ above all earthly powers. Uh, we don't think there's any place, anywhere, any subject that is immune to the lordship of Christ. And we want to see... People trained biblically to think about this. We're very much church based. And so if you're not an intricately involved in mm. your church, you don't have people that are willing to commend you to this institute, then you, know, you can't study with us. But if that's true, if you're grounded in a church, you understand the Lordship of Christ in a local church, which is the foundation, the headquarters for what we're to do on earth, then. IOPT might have a place for you to help you flesh out your thinking theologically in looking at the world through the lens of Scripture. Because everybody has a worldview. We want our worldview to be increasingly consistent with and informed by what God has revealed. So we're in our... Second year. So we've got Bodie Balkum coming up to teach in January, a course on the Confession of Faith and Worldview. Uh, that class will be right before the Founders Conference. And we've got a couple of classes scheduled already in the, the fall. In fact, we got one scheduled uh, in the summer. And uh, in the nec- next fall, we got some scheduled this spring of 23. Tom Nettles is coming, a mutual friend of ours, and he'll be teaching part two of his church mm. history course and then we also got Jim Renahan coming, yes. uh, who is, uh, for my money, the living expert on the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And he's just written this book. We have it at the printers. We're waiting to get it. God willing, we will have it here um, by the conference. We're, we're doing everything we can to have it available for the first time at the conference. But Jim's going to be teaching his Symbolics course, just on the, the basis of um, Confessions of Faith and their utility in Christian life and in uh, the life of the church. And so these are courses coming up. Carl Truman's scheduled to teach for us in the summer. Uh, we've got an ecclesiology course coming next fall. So lots of lots of things going forward. But the, the ingredient that we needed to kind of help us move forward in even some more ambitious ways is a dean. And again, <laughs> God has, has given you to us, and we're excited about it. Uh, you and I were talking about some of the plans that we have already In place. They need to be fleshed out a little bit more. Again, we hope to announce them at the conference, if not before. But I'm as excited as I've ever been Mm. about any initiative that Founders has been involved in now for 40 years uh, about IOPT. It's, Mm. It's incredible. I think it's timely. And I think that you're the man to help steer us into this future where we can be serviceable for men and women, for the Church of Christ, for generations to come. So again, delighted to have you on board. So what would you say, Scott, to uh, knowing what you know, and you've again, you looked at it from the outside, and then now you're kind of getting your feet wet from the inside, but you had a perspective being overseas, kind of watching what was going on back here in America while we were living through it, and I was disoriented for a while, and I think a lot of people were, and more and more have kind of gotten clarity over time, but in those early years, uh, when, when I was getting some clarity, it was confusing because some of my good friends were not seeing things the way I was. And I'm not saying right. I saw everything just right, right, but boy, there were some dividing lines that came that none of us would have ever imagined, uh, 10 years ago, yes. but there you are in a different place. Right. And d- did some of these, uh, these impulses of social justice, critical theory, make their way over to where you were. And, and what was your observation yes. looking back over here?
1: Well, you know, so your perspective is extremely valuable, the perspective from within, right? So what we're talking about for me is the perspective from without looking in Mm -hmm. because there's actually a Chinese saying that you don't know what the mountain looks like if you're climbing it. Uh, mm -hmm. You see it from over here, and you can see maybe the people climbing the mountain, this kind of thing, and now from over here you actually see what the mountain looks like. And perhaps you could wish you could tell the people, no, don't go that way. (laughs) This kind of thing. So, um, so that's what we're talking about. So did the, the issues of social justice make it over to to Singapore? Well, in in some ways, yes, we, we did see it. And the whole world, I think was sort of in an uproar over the global pandemic. And and so I think everybody was trying to find their footing uh, at the beginning of that. So, Looking back to the U.S., what seemed to me to be kind of um, major fault lines, so to speak, and I I think a big one would be trust in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, Mm -hmm. where what I have seen the last few years is that I think every evangelical knows that they need to sort of pledge allegiance to biblical authority. Because the moment you sort of publicly say that the Bible could be wrong about anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is, we could discuss this in terms of inerrancy or something. But you know, in any situation where an evangelical might say that we need, you know, just right out in front, we need something other than the Bible because the Bible's not authoritative, they know that that's not the right way to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, we've had the years yeah. of experience to know that's not the, not the right way to talk. But the way you know really that biblical authority is active, is the idea of biblical sufficiency. Mm -hmm. Meaning authority really doesn't mean much if there are other authorities. That's
0: right. (laughs) The final authorities, yeah.
1: Right, right. So the Bible is not first among equals. It is the authority, right? So the authority, that concept leads us to sufficiency. And so what I saw from outside is those who would return to their Bibles to try to make sense of the world might have been knocked off balance by sort of unprecedented events that were happening. But pretty quickly, if they would go back to the, the Word of God and consider it to be sufficient, sufficient scripture, this is what I need to decide what to do, would recognize... Here is an untapped source of guidance right now, mm-hmm. untapped in general because so few people were tapping oh, yeah. <laughs> that source. So sufficiency of Scripture, that, that was the most key thing that I saw that was missing mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. from most of the public rhetoric right. of major Christian organizations, major evangelical organizations. Right. So that, that, was, that was the biggest thing.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with that. And I, I see the sufficiency of Scripture as a necessary corollary to the inerrancy of Scripture. And so if you call yourself an inerrantist and you loudly proclaim your affirmation of the Bible's full authority, and yet you kind of set it aside or set it below other authorities and say, yeah, we, we believe the Bible's inerrant, but you know, we really need these sociological ideologies or these philosophical concepts in order to rightly understand what the authoritative Bible is telling us. Um, you begin to undermine the yes. commitment to its authority. And we've seen this happen time and again. I, I really think that in at least large part, that is what happened to the um, inerrancy movement, not mm. just within the SBC, but in the broader evangelical world. And we clarified that, yeah, okay, we all believe that the Bible is inerrant, but then you've got people who are affirming the inerrancy of Scripture going out and doing things because it works or doing things because we've got right. to, to reach this generation mm-hmm. that um, assume the Bible at best and undermine it at worst. Mm. And Man, you do that for a while, and we've done that for decades. We're well, set you, up,
1: and you bring up pragmatism.
0: Yeah, exactly. There. That's exactly yeah. what one of the major things I think we're facing today, and as a result, we we don't you don't have the strength then to stand against to withstand what the onslaught has been from our culture that has uh, just been uh, put on steroids in terms of its opposition to basic truths that our grandparents would have taken for granted mm. and never in a imagined would be questioned.
1: Well, and there's a sense in which if a person is ultimately a pragmatist, that overrides everything. That's right. Yeah. Because what works that, that's the determining is, factor. Is the determining factor. Yeah, so right. if something, you know, you, you go through some process and it works in the end, well, that's the canonization of that <laughs> process, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. And sadly, because we do want to see people come to Christ, we want to see things grow, that uh, the, the downfall of a lot of this, this shifting away from the sufficiency of Scripture was its success. Yeah. Look, it works. Mm. And how many times we hear this of you can't criticize this ministry. You can't criticize this church because it's working. It's working. Look, look at all the outward results. Mm. And we're we're not, we want that. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see things grow, but not at any cost. If it's not growing according to what the word has provided for in its growth, then it's suspect at best.
1: Right. And I think, Another thing that that keeps people from sort of thinking critically, right, about various ministries is, well, I know the heart here. Yeah, right. You know, so it's the, I guess, giving more trust than is warranted to intentions, or at least perceived intentions, right? right? But the thing is... The Bible tells us not to trust the intentions of the heart. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, this heart needs to be looked at the same way. Sure, right.
0: right. Yeah, no, that's true. And One of the things that finally gave me clarity back in 2018, I think it was when I I consciously started doing this, was uh, I just started putting bags over people's heads. And I just, I don't, I'm not pretending who you are, caring about who you are. I'm looking at what you're saying. I'm looking at what you're writing. I'm looking at what you're doing. And if I can forget the source, because... I want to give every benefit of the doubt to their good intentions and just look at what you're saying, evaluate it biblically. I say, this is horrible. This is, this cannot withstand the scrutiny of scripture. And you pull the bag off. You're like, Whoa, not you. <laughs> who you <said> that? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, right. and that, that led to some awkward conversations, right. you know, between friends.
1: Well, and, and all of us are sinful human beings sure. who make mistakes, but mistakes some kind, sometimes can be where, they're pointed out, but we're not willing to admit it.
0: Yeah, right.
1: That's an issue too right now, isn't
0: it? It is. And that's just pride. And, man, we fight that every day. And because uh, we all have, I think I told our church last Sunday, I said, I, I have got problems in my theology. There are holes in my theology. I just don't know where they are. You know, and if you can help me find them, <laughs> if I'm responding rightly, I'll thank you. you know. But sometimes they, things can be pointed out to you and you don't respond properly because you've held to it so long or you thought you had it right.
1: Well, and I think people can see that when a person, you know, you're, you're, you're taken to task for something you've said, where mm-hmm. it, it really you, you you can pretty you can see pretty quickly this is not a biblical position. Mm-hmm. And then if that person then goes, you know what, mm.
0: you're right. Yeah, but praise God when that happens. You yes, know? Well, that's one of the things. It's so rare. It's yeah. It's it's, it's frustrating me. Scott is uh, because even even you look at the way many evangelical leaders held hands with some of our national political leaders and medical experts in telling us this is the right way to handle this pandemic. If you don't do this, you're not loving your neighbor. If you don't wear a mask, you're not loving your neighbor. If you don't get the vaccine, you're not loving your neighbor. If you don't close your church, you're not loving your neighbor. And they were bringing theological pressure to bear yes. upon these uh, approaches that were coming to us from other sources, and they've been proven wrong. They're dead wrong and at best now what we're seeing is they just want to cover it up or saying you know can't we have amnesty here and you know we nobody was thinking right well you know some people were thinking right and they got castigated because they tried to bring their arguments to the table and they were accused of not loving their neighbors
1: there's sort of a pretend it didn't happen exactly kind of approach and i don't
0: get that because i mean again i'm not immune to this so i'm not suggesting that i've got all this just right but the gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free to not have to be right. You know, we could have been wrong. We can say, I was wrong. We can repent because we have a Savior who died for our sins. I don't have to bear that. I don't I don't have to be justified by my actions and, and my uh, efforts. I have a Savior who's justified me. So when it is made known to me that I have made a mistake in any area, erred or sinned, I can own it. And there's nothing lost, right? Because I have a Savior, right? But it's almost like we we forget that when it gets right. down to that practical level, right? It's almost like
1: we should say, expect some mistakes here. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, that's right.
0: You know, Luther's first uh, uh, point on on his ninety five theses, the first thesis, is that repentance. When Jesus says repent, he's talking about a life of repentance. It's not a one time act and We just need to remember that. That's what the gospel is about. That is a part of the very foundation of what we're wanting to do in IOPT. And we're wanting to get the gospel so deeply ingrained, Mm. become so fluent in it that it just bleeds out into everything that we do in life, everything we see, the way we think, so that we really can stand and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord above all earthly powers. That's Mm. what we're doing that's what you're going to be leading. I'm so excited that you're here with us. I'm looking forward to folks that are familiar with Founders, becoming familiar with uh, Dr. Callahan, and again we'll be introducing him at the conference coming up in January. If you want to know more about the Institute of Public Theology you can go to our website instituteofpublictheology.org and we've got all kind of material there. Uh, We would love to have you consider becoming a student Uh, we'd love to have your support as well for this enterprise. It is a massive undertaking and God has directed us thus far. We're very confident he will guide us into the future and if you want to know more about it that you don't find on the website give us a call we'll be glad to uh entertain your questions and have a conversation with you about it scott thanks so much for joining us on the sword and trial today look forward to years ahead working with you and thank you for tuning in today and hope that you will share this episode with friends if it's been helpful and plan to join us again next week